Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hello, my name is Rochelle Lucero, and I'm the host of the Clumsy Theosis podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to be talking about the Sacred Heart of Jesus and everything that that entails. I'm going to be going over the basics, uh, just so that we're all on the same page. I'm also going to go over the history, the devotion, and a little bit of theology of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Yes, I did say theology. There are those types out there who will dismiss the devotion of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. They might think it's a pious practice for people who are unacademic or uneducated. But don't be that guy, because that guy is way wrong. I've got some theology, spirituality, and some practical ways to take part in this devotion and this feast. Today is actually the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, by the way, so happy feast day. And since we're in a celebratory mood, I would like to celebrate the fact that we have two new patrons to Clumsy Theosis, also known as our financial supporters. So please join me in welcoming and thanking Tobe and Jameson. Because don't forget that you are able to listen to this show, visit my website, and receive my weekly emails because of the financial support of our patrons. If you would like to become one of them, on top of supporting the growth of Clumsy Theosis, you will also get exclusive merchandise and resources in the process. All you have to do is visit clumsytheosis.net and then click the word donate in the menu. And I'm also going to leave a link down in the show notes for you to make it super easy. All right, not too long ago, I released an episode on the Divine Mercy, and I received a lot of positive feedback from listeners, most of them saying something like, thank you so much for that episode. I got so much out of it. Um, There's so much out there related to Divine Mercy, but I just could never work out exactly what Divine Mercy was until you broke it down. Now I know what it is, and now I'm really excited about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, maybe not so many thank yous, but (laughs) you get the point. But that was perfect because that's exactly what I was hoping to do. I wanted to take a commonly known of devotion and even a feast, right? Because divine mercy is also a feast in our church and clear up any confusion so that you can get the most out of it. So that's what I'm going to do again today with the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, this is a feast in the Roman Catholic Church, and I suspect that there are many Catholics that are pretty fuzzy about the particulars of this feast. And that is not cool because that is going to hamper your ability to benefit from this feast and this devotion the way you are intended to. Because devotions and feasts like this, they're not empty rituals or pious superstitions to make you feel good about yourself or holier than thou because you take part in them. No, they are intended to transform your heart and your soul so that you can become that awesome you that God made you to become. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Sacred Heart of Jesus is the most widespread devotion in the Catholic world. Jesus has promised everyone who has a devotion to his Sacred Heart 12 special promises. And I'm going to read all of those to you because let's not bury the lead. Let's start with the good stuff that Jesus wants to give us for having a devotion to his most sacred heart. So, number one, he will give them all the graces necessary in their state of life. Two, he will establish peace in their homes. Three, he will comfort them in all of their afflictions. Four, he will be their secure refuge during life and above all in death. 
Five, he will bestow abundant blessings upon all of their undertakings. Six, sinners will find in his heart the source and infinite ocean of mercy. Seven, lukewarm souls shall become fervent. Eight, fervent souls shall quickly mount to high perfection. Nine, he will bless every place in which an image of his heart is exposed and honored. Ten, he will give to priests the gifts of touching the most hardened hearts. Eleven, those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written on his heart. And twelve. Okay, twelve is a little long-winded and there's some moving parts. I'm just going to read it out for you and we'll tackle those moving parts before we end today's episode. Okay, so twelve is, in the excessive mercy of his heart, His all-powerful love will grant to all those who receive Holy Communion on the first Fridays in nine consecutive months the grace of final perseverance. They shall not die in his disgrace, nor without receiving their sacraments. His divine heart shall be their safe refuge in this last moment. Okay, so like I said, those are some pretty awesome promises for those who have devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and I will link those down in the show notes for you. Now that you and I are all pumped up to learn about the Sacred Heart of Jesus and how he's going to transform our lives and how we can get our hands on these promises that Jesus promises to give us, uh, let's learn a little bit about the Sacred Heart. And I think we should start first with the basics so we're all on the same page. I don't know what you know, what you don't know, okay? June is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The feast day is the Friday after the Feast of Corpus Christi, which happens to be today. Happy feast day. There are 12 promises from Jesus for all who have a devotion to the Sacred Heart, as we just learned. Now, the symbol of the Sacred Heart is a flaming heart surrounded by the crown of thorns, and there is a puncture wound in the side of the heart that is bleeding a few drops of blood. Oftentimes, there is a small cross either in front of the flames or above them, and sometimes you'll see a lance near the puncture wound in the side of the heart. Now, the crown of thorns, the wound in the side, and the lance, these remind us of the crucifixion of our Lord, which we know his crucifixion is his perfect love for us. So, like divine mercy, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus manifests itself in so many ways among Catholics. And that makes sense because it's the most widely known of devotion in the Catholic world. So you have the feast, which is today. Um, You also have First Friday devotions. There's also a litany, probably multiple litanies, um, novena, and there's also separate prayers to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You can even have the Sacred Heart enthroned in your home and you can consecrate yourself to the Sacred Heart, you can make reparations to the Sacred Heart, and on and on. All of those things, they are great things, they do help your faith life, but the question is, do we have to partake in all of these types of devotions in order to have an overall devotion to the Sacred Heart? Like, where do we start? How do we know what we're supposed to do? Everything like that, lots of questions. So let's just start with the most obvious thing that we know which is that today is the feast day of the Sacred Heart. Now, this feast day was added to the calendar in 1856. So does that mean that this is a fairly new thing in Catholicism? And that's an important question for us to ask because sometimes there are Catholics out there who will poo-poo practices that they deem to be new additions to the faith. And I get why they would do that, but most of the time, 
those things that they're referring to as new additions are not actually new. Take the devotion to the Sacred Heart, for instance. We can start to see a noticeable growth in devotion to the Sacred Heart in the 11th century. But before that, history shows us that devotion to the five wounds of Christ was a big thing. And we still even do this today, especially during Lent. Now observe the easy connection between the five wounds of Christ, one of them being the side of Christ, and the Sacred Heart, which comes from where? The side of Christ. Right? We can notice that the Sacred Heart has a small puncture wound from the lance that pierced the side of Jesus, you know, that's one of the wounds of Christ. Also, when we're thinking about the side of Christ, we know that from the side of Christ came blood and water at his crucifixion. And I cover this a little bit more in that episode on divine mercy. But just like Adam's rib was removed from his side to create his bride, the bride of Christ, which is the church, issued from the side of Christ when his heart was pierced by the lance. Like there's so much theological and spiritual richness that we can find with regard to the wound in the side of Christ. And you know what? All of that in one way or another is connected to the sacred heart of Jesus. But back to the 11th century, knowledge of the sacred heart and devotion to it began mostly as private revelations during prayer time or even mystical experiences to religious a lot of the times in convents and in monasteries. The Lord at that time was making his sacred heart known to so many souls and spurning on that flame of love within them. And he did this by first sharing his love, his love for them, the love from his sacred heart for them. And that kind of love transformed them. It would transform any person. And that in itself provokes devotion. And many different kinds of devotions to the Sacred Heart spread across the world, kind of like as a grassroots movement for like hundreds of years as the Lord continued to introduce his Sacred Heart to all of these fervent souls. But overall, and this is very important, overall, for hundreds of years, while the devotion to the Sacred Heart was spreading worldwide, it was always a devotion to Jesus Christ himself. But in a very particular way, it was a devotion meditating on his interior life. So remember that the devotion to the Sacred Heart is a devotion to the interior life of Jesus, to the heart of Jesus. So if all of this devotion started to really blow up in the 11th century and was popping up all over the world for hundreds of years and growing and growing, why did we wait from the 11th century until the 19th century to make this an actual feast. And where do these 12 promises come in? Okay, so the request to make the Sacred Heart a feast in the church didn't come until the late 1600s with a nun by the name of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. And it wasn't even her request, actually. It was Jesus's. Jesus had been appearing to her, and he gave her a message, and he gave her a few requests and the 12 promises, okay? The exchanges between Jesus and St. Margaret Mary Alacoque have shaped the devotion of the Sacred Heart that we see and we practice today. So we're going to go over that a little bit later, but for now, suffice it to say that the message that Jesus gave her was about his great love for humanity, but also about how wounded his heart was by the indifference humanity had towards his love. 
And he also requested a feast day to come on the Friday after the feast of Corpus Christi, as well as to have the faithful consecrate themselves and to make reparation to his sacred heart. From the time of this apparition of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, it took 200 years before the popes got on board. Some of them ignored this devotion, while others really wanted to make sure that it was sound. And so it was theologically investigated to make sure that it jibed with the deposit of faith. And if you don't know what the deposit of faith is, it is what God has already revealed to the church through scripture and tradition. Now, obviously, they found out that everything was above board and they instituted the feast. Now, since then, there have been three major documents written by the popes. All of them are encyclicals, one on the consecration, another one on reparation. And remember that these were things that Jesus requested, consecration and reparation to his sacred heart. And then there's also another encyclical on devotion to the sacred heart. And that one came in 1956 by Pope Pius XII. And that's pretty recent. And it's a really great one. Not to say that the others aren't. But I really like the one on the devotion to the Sacred Heart. I mean, even the title itself. The title is Haritis Aquis, which is Latin for You Will Draw Waters. And Pope Pius XII got this title from a passage in the 12th chapter of Isaiah, verse 3 to be specific. That's because this verse is about the abundance of supernatural graces which flow from the heart of Christ. In this encyclical, he talks at length about the threefold love of the sacred heart of Jesus. Have you ever heard about that? The threefold love. Now, earlier in this episode, I said that a devotion to the sacred heart is a devotion to the interior life of Jesus. Okay, well, When you hear about the threefold love of the Sacred Heart, it is going to blow that wide open and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, why didn't I know about this before? It's beautiful. I'm just going to give some summaries. I really recommend that you read the document and you do your own sitting and dwelling and chewing on the document, not literally, obviously, but just letting it sink in and affect your prayer and your understanding of the Sacred Heart. But let's just talk about it real quick. All right, so the threefold love of the sacred heart of Jesus. So there is his divine love, there is his burning love that fed his divine will, and then there's his sensible love that affects his interior life. By divine love, we mean the love that Jesus shares with the Father and the Holy Spirit as part of the Godhead, right? Because God is love. And so he shares in this divine love with them. But if we step back, And we think about this, he is the only one out of the three persons of the Trinity. Jesus is the only one who was able to manifest that love in a human body, right? In a human heart. And that is huge. Okay, now moving on to his burning love that fed his human will. Just like you have a human will, Jesus also had a human will as well as a divine will. But with regard to his human will, this burning love that fed his divine will, this refers to how, his, how the human will of Christ was enriched by the burning love that came from the beatific vision. And the beatific vision, remember, that means that ultimate direct face-to-face meeting that we hope that we will share one day with God, right? When we're in heaven, we'll be able to see him face-to-face. Well, Jesus 
has already experienced that because he is God, right? So that burning love of the beatific vision, that was infused in his human will. And because of that, it gave him perfect knowledge that enlightened and governed the actions of his will. And finally, Jesus's sensible love that affects his interior life. This is more of a natural kind of love or a human love. Because remember, the body of Jesus Christ was formed by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who was human. And because of this, his heart possesses the full powers of feelings and perceptions, more so than any human body ever, right? Because he is fully God and he is fully man. In Haritis Aquis, paragraph 54, it's summarized like this. The heart of the incarnate word is deservedly and rightly considered the chief sign and symbol of that threefold love with which the divine redeemer unceasingly loves his eternal father and all of mankind. So to summarize that, basically, the heart of Jesus is the perfect symbol of his threefold love, a love which Jesus endlessly loves both our heavenly father and humanity, you know, people like you and myself at the same time. And when we engage with the sacred heart of Jesus, we receive and we're being loved with his threefold love. And do you know how that is possible? That is only possible because of his hypostatic union, which I kind of covered a tiny bit earlier. I slipped it in there, but I went over this in length um, information about the hypostatic union when I went over the heresies about Christ and the Trinity a couple months back. Remember that? The hypostatic union is how we can say that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Now, in my opinion, if the hypostatic union is a little difficult for you to grasp on its own, the threefold love of the sacred heart of Jesus helps us to get a deeper spiritual understanding of the hypostatic union, you know, about Jesus and how he is both fully God and fully man and what that means for us and how we can engage with him on the level of being fully God and fully man through his sacred heart. Now, even though you might be able to understand the hypostatic union, no problem. I still think knowing about the threefold love, it's really going to enrich that and like make it something much more vibrant in your spiritual life. And that's all I have to say about that. So don't put this on a shelf. Work with this in your prayer life. If you would like to read more about the threefold love, which I really encourage you to do, I will link that encyclical down in the show notes along with other related encyclicals about the sacred heart. So they're down there in the show notes for you. Oh, and if you are curious about recent popes and what they've had to say about the um, Sacred Heart of Jesus, Pope St. John Paul II, as well as Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, have both written, um, not like exclusively, but they have written about the importance of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So both of them are totally on board with that. And one is a philosopher and the other is a biblical scholar. So these are both well-educated and academic men. So... This is for everyone. The threefold love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus offers us some awesome theology that can really inform our interior, you know, our hearts, our souls, and our minds, and to really help us unite with Jesus on that next level, on that heart-to-heart spiritual level. 
So this is like what's going on in our interior, right? As we're getting to know a little bit more about the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But what about those external aspects of the devotion and the Feast of the Sacred Heart? Like, what are we supposed to do? What's most important here? For that, I want to go back to the message and the requests that Jesus gave to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. When Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, he told her this. He said, Behold the heart that has so loved men. Instead of gratitude, I receive from the greater part of mankind only ingratitude, right? And so he asked for a feast of reparation, and he asked for us to also consecrate ourselves to him, right? This is supposed to remedy that injustice. Okay, so the way that we consecrate ourselves to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is to acknowledge that he is our creator and our redeemer. And then we pledge our lives. We pledge to reform our lives constantly and to act with love. Now, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque wrote her own short prayer of consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I think it is very powerful and beautiful. And I've attached a link down in the show notes for your ease of use. Or it is also in your email. If you are one of those people who receive my weekly email, I have typed it up and included it in the email for you. So. Just dig up that email. You have the prayer right there forever and always. Also, the Lord asked us to make reparations, right? To repair for the indifferences and the ingratitude that he receives from humanity, as well as for the abandonment that he has experienced at the hand of humanity. So how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to make reparation? There are four devotional practices that are attached to those 12 promises that I mentioned at the top of this episode. They're going to help us to make a reparation as well as to continue with our ongoing consecration, right? Our ongoing um, renewal and reformation of our life, right? So those four things are as follows. First, to receive communion frequently. Second is to partake in something referred to as First Fridays or First Friday Devotion. That means that you go to confession and you receive the Eucharist on the first Friday of every month for nine consecutive months, right? And normally first Friday is referred to as first Friday devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. You might find something like that at your parish or at a local parish near you because it is a well-known practice. And if you can um, celebrate it publicly at one of those masses which are intended for that purpose, those are ideal. Just saying. Also, the third thing is a weekly holy hour on a Thursday in particular. And the fourth thing is to celebrate the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is today. So now that we have the historical, theological, and spiritual rundown of the devotion of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, I think that you're in a really good position to celebrate today and to do it well. But don't forget that these practices are not just confined to the feast you know, to the feast day of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. These things are meant to be lived out throughout the year. I mean, of course, if you're going to do First Friday devotion, that's going to take nine months of your life, right? So this goes on all year long, right? And if you happen to be listening to this episode after the feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus this year, don't worry about it. It's going to come around again next year. And this information is just going to help you to do it that much better then. So That's all I got. If you liked this episode, would you please share it with a friend? Text them, email them, post it on social media, send it by Carrier Pigeon. I don't care. Just whatever you need to do to get the word out, I would greatly appreciate it. 
And on that note about getting the word out and being in contact with people, I don't know if the segue is working, but I'm still going with it. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Clumsy Theosis. Please give me a follow and don't be shy. Honestly, ask me questions, send me comments, whatever it is. I love to hear how these episodes are working in your life, what they're doing in your faith life, and what questions that may arise because of them. Please let me know. Okay, until next week, friend. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.